Welcome back to the For the Berg podcast. Ron Gaeta here, and this is episode 10 of the show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you to these first handful of guests who agreed to be on the show without knowing pretty much anything about it. I hope you guys have been enjoying what I've been putting out, and please continue to follow and share so we can keep this thing going. My guest today is Mark Heilman from Suicide Silence. Mark talks about joining the band when he was 17 years old. He breaks down every Suicide Silence record, including their latest, Become the Hunter, which dropped earlier this year on Valentine's Day. He tells us what he thinks about whenever he thinks Pittsburgh, and he also gives us his daily jag-off. Enjoy, guys. Nope. Mr. Pop. All right, guys, today I have Mark Heilman from Suicide Silence. What's going on, man? What's happening, dude? I'm just fucking, I'm, I'm beaming in from my, my cave. Oh, I cursed. I'm sure I'm allowed to curse. You can curse oh, you're, anywhere now. You're good, man. Yeah. I'm live from my, from my cave. <laughs> uh, keeping busy during the uh, quarantine here? Yeah, you know, just like we were just saying, like you started your podcast. I just launched my Patreon and I'm like doing live streams on my Patreon and posting exclusive content on there and trying to stay connected and not lose my freaking mind <laughs> oh yeah uh so with most of these we just like to start with um can you talk about some of your earlier musical influences when you decided you wanted to play music for a living or uh, when you knew that was actually a possibility dude so early musical influences my dad was a guitar player so i was raised in a musical house so my dad was always in a band so i would hear and he was like a, a like a jazz guitar player so he listened to everything from like gypsy jazz to like Ingve malmstein to metallica you know um but yeah music just there was music always you know around me but uh i loved the red hot chili peppers and green day when i was in like second grade and i used to steal my sister's cds when she was already at school and i would go downstairs and i'd listen to them on the on the cd player in the garage and i'm like i don't know what billy joe's doing i didn't even understand it at the point but i'm like i want to do whatever he's doing you know i want to do that <laughs> That's well, awesome. That was like second grade, and I don't know. I guess I just made it happen. <laughs> yeah, that's real cool. Uh, what, what were some of your first earlier bands you were in, or did you just start right into Suicide Sounds? <laughs> no, well, the thing is, I was I joined Suicide Sounds when I was 17 years old. So wow. I, I had started uh, a couple of bands. I was in like a blackened like, symphonic death metal band called Nocturnal Symphony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, I think I was I think I was like 14 with when, with that and then I was in a band called Without Restraint and I was in a band called From Agony Within and it was all kind of a progression from like the most extreme brutal to like a little more metalcore kill switch engagey kind of stuff and then I ended up in Suicide Silence <laughs> that's crazy that's awesome though. Yeah. um so I wanted to do something I've done with a couple of guys that when it makes sense is do like a little album run through, tell a story about maybe the recording process or just what was going on during that time. Um, then maybe your personal favorite song from each record. Sure. Let's, let's cool. Do it. Start with, uh, we can start with the cleansing. Yeah. So the cleansing that was, we started writing that in 2006. I'd been in the band for ba- barely a year, 
you know, and we were starting to write a, a first full length. None of us had ever written a full length before. We we're kids. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah, we used to go into the band room. We used to have a little tape deck recorder that we would put hoodies over so we could record our demos onto a tape deck and we would give them to our singer and he would take the tapes home and he would write lyrics to these little tapes and uh, we wrote it like all together in the band room just smoking a shit ton of weed and drinking a shit ton of iced coffee i'll never forget like literally drinking like five venti iced coffees like a writing <laughs> session uh and we were just so young and angry and fucking just writing the most ridiculous shit we could possibly come up with. And we we found a producer that watched us live. His name is John Travis. He produced like uh, like Uncle Cracker and Kid Rock <laughs> and like some really weird shit. But he was a big name producer. So we're like, all right, let's let's check him out. He saw us play live. He's like, he's like, I just want to record you guys play. No uh individual tracking nothing i just want you guys to play exactly the way you guys play and that's the way i want to produce your band and we're like sounds easy enough let's do it so we recorded that record in 12 days and uh and then yeah like i think i think uh my favorite song on that record probably ended up still to this day is probably no pity for a coward because it became like our first kind of like fan favorite song and it was just like it kind of came out of a place where we fought so much when we wrote that song and like we hated we hated each other for a little bit about it and then everyone loved that song we're like i guess we got to fight about every song to make it work you know that's funny um so second album here no time to bleed no time to bleed uh we were a little bit more experienced and we wanted to do the polar opposite of what we did on the first record which was we want to you know, individually track everything and go and like hardcore produce it like like insane. So we we went to this dude machine who had worked with Lamb of God and uh, and we flew to New Jersey and lived with our friend who let him. He's insane for letting us live in his house for four and a half, five weeks in New Jersey. We would and dude, this was we grinded so hard on that record. And uh Really, it was just kind of like the first time we were taken out of our comfort zone and flew to another place and lived somewhere else to, to record music. And we just dedicated ourselves super hard to that. And I think still it's probably, uh, you know, most of our fans' favorite record, uh, just because I think we, we exceeded what people had heard from us on record before because it was so professionally produced. And uh, yeah, I mean, Wake Up, uh, the song Wake Up on that, uh, probably my favorite song on the record because it's a true story about our singer doing mushrooms in Big Bear with another one of our friends and our friend had such a bad trip and he like was in like in a whole other world and Mitch was just telling him like dude like wake up man like you're not wherever <laughs> you think you are dude that's not where you are and then we wrote a song about that and it ended up being like a song we still play to this day. <laughs> That's really cool. That's, uh, so uh, we move on here to the third record, the the Black Crown. Black Crown. Um, first record we recorded with our now like go-to producer Steve Evitz. Uh, Steve Evitz has done like all the Dillinger Escape Plan records, uh, and he's kind of a legend in the in the metal world and the, and the hardcore scene. With uh, with he used to work at Tracks East in Jersey, which is like classic studio. Um, that is when we really figured out how to work together and utilize like 
all of our influences and put them into single songs where we could really say, you know, you know, Alex, he loves, you know, Deftones and 90s kind of uh, like new metal stuff. And, you know, Dan Kenny, uh, our bass player, loves slam death metal. And like, you know, Mitch, you know, he loved, you know, writing just extremely like unnerving uh pull up the, the heartstrings types lyrics and we figured out how to work together and get all of our influences on it and uh that's where you only live once came from which you know we wrote a song called you only live once uh before i think it was drake and like some of these rappers uh they, that started to become a thing people would say mm. yolo but like yeah. our, our track our track was the first one that actually said you only live once and we never really get the credit for it but it i feel like we were kind of like thumbed into like whatever the like hive mind of the world was and we like we wrote a song that was like right in tune with you know the push of all that stuff and still it kind of blows my mind that uh that you know that song has like 22 million uh you know youtube views on it which most of our songs have like a million or two you know so it's like <laughs> it exceeds so like anything we've ever done so yeah that was that was like our breakout you know biggest record we did yeah that's awesome the next one you can't stop me you can't stop me. So, you know, if you're familiar with our story or if you're not familiar with our story, um, our singer, our original singer, Mitch, passed away in 2012. He died in a motorcycle accident. It's fucking tragic. It was the worst shit ever. Um, but, you know, for me individually, uh, when we decided that Suicide Silence was going to keep going, everybody in the band kind of had this like wake up call. And, uh, you know, any any kind of like substance issues or problems that we had with each other uh things that were going on in our personal lives like we all banded together super hard and started to help each other like i sobered up um you know a lot of people you know dropped you know anything that was holding them down and we got our new singer eddie hermita who is a longtime friend of ours uh and it was kind of like if he's down to do it we're down to do a record with him and and, and roll with this and go hard and uh, so it was the first record with him, first record where I think we all kind of had like uh, a whole new you know, brain, for lack of a better term. We were all working together in this new way. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was the most cohesive and smooth uh, record that we ever put together because everyone was so hyped and we knew what we needed to do. We needed to impress people and prove that we could still be the band that people knew who we were without Mitch and also keep that memory of him alive and, and remind people of you know his voice again listening to some someone new so it was it was an odd experience but in the end again we were with steve evitz uh that record came out i think as just so cohesive and such a good representation of what suicide silence sounds like and what we still sound like um and i think that my standout track on that it's hard to say because you can't stop me. The title track, it's Mitch's lyrics. And that they were the last set of lyrics that he left, uh, you know, after he passed and we found him and we knew he was listening to one of the demos we gave him and we had to figure out, we had to listen to the demos and read the lyrics, like which song was he writing this for? So we listened to it. We, we determined which one it was. And yeah, we, we wrote, you can't stop me with Mitch's lyrics. And uh, I think that that's probably the most standout and like meaningful to me. Um, and yeah, we made an awesome music video to it with Jason Muse is in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he made, yeah we, we got him to do like a cameo at the end of it. He shows up with a big bag of joints and he's like, snoochie boochie, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> the next one's the uh, self-titled one, 2017, I think. 
So this is forever going to be like our Saint Anger. Like everybody hated that record. More and clean, more more clean vocals in this record, right? We did clean vocals. We did way more like artsy avant kind of stuff. And um, <clears throat> the where we all were at at that point in time in our lives was just like a really explorative. Like a lot of us had been sober for a while, and like we were in a new like minds mindset, and we kind of you know to to talk about you can't stop me again when we did you can't stop me we were going like so safe by the book what does suicide silence sound like let's make something that sounds so suicide silence that you can't deny that it's suicide silence and then when it came to the next record we're like god like we just want to do something different we want to try some new shit and then we just tried so much new shit that you know for the most part people were like what the fuck are you guys doing and 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 I, I, I totally understand it, and I can never be like, how dare you not appreciate what we did, you know? But, like, we were just being too fucking artsy. Um, and we recorded it with Ross Robinson, which, if you know anything about Ross Robinson, he did, like, the first Corn Records, first Slipknot record. Um, so that was, like, a dream come true to be working with this dude who's, like, made a lot of cool shit that we, we grew up listening to. And when it came to him and his producing style, he was all for us just like burning the book and writing a new one, you know? So it was this perfect storm of writing the most experimental weird shit. And uh, the experience was great. I loved it. Uh, but yeah, people definitely not, it's not the fan favorite. My favorite track though on the record, um, I think it's a toss up. I'd have to say there's two tracks that I'm, I'm still really proud of, which is uh, Dying in a Red Room which I think is just a super sweet, smooth, catchy tune. And then um, I really like uh, Conformity. And they're both the more like soft, softer tunes on the record. But uh, I think for us, you know, again, it was like we really explored what kind of influences we all have and like what other kind of shit we could do. But it's like the polar opposite of what's Suicide Silence. I think, you know, what people expect us to sound like. Right. So, yeah, weird, weird, weird ass. Right, we're on that spiritual journey tip during that whole thing, man. <laughs> and uh, you guys, you guys just recently, I think in February, was it on on Valentine's Day? You guys put just put out uh, "Become the Hunter." Yeah, "Become the Hunter." Um, yeah, I mean, this was this this probably was what should have followed. You can't stop me. Like, you know, really, like without without saying like you know we regret releasing the the self-titled record no regrets at all but like it was such it was such a you know a, a, a veer off of the standard path that like become the hunter is kind of it's it is we we wanted to be excruciatingly brutal we wanted to sound like we were so fucking mad which we probably you know in all reality were mad and based on like all of the you know the bashing that the the previous record had and that was just like return home to you know what what mindset do we have when we write suicide silence what is it that we that like makes us want to do this what what is it that just like fires us up and every day when we were writing that record it was kind of like somebody would come in the room and have something just sick just like oh fuck yeah like that's exactly what we got to do so it was it was super enjoyable putting that all together uh, just because we were trying to one-up each other. We were trying to just like, oh, you got that? Well, I got this. Oh, you got that? Oh, well, fuck, check this shit out. Uh, so th th we wrote like 
20 songs, which normally we usually only write like 15 and choose like 11. You know, we wrote like more songs than normal because we just had so much like shit to throw out there. Uh, and we went back to Steve Evitz, who's, you know, we, we got such good chemistry with him. Uh, and yeah, I just feel like we wrote a fan, you know, a fan favorite. Like, I think anybody that likes Suicide Silence can listen to this and just be like, oh, fuck it, this is exactly what I want, you know? And my favorite track is uh, everybody's favorite track on the record, which is probably a deeper cut because it's kind of a little more experimental. It's called The Scythe. And uh, it's a little longer of a song. I think it's like almost six minutes long. But it's, it's another one of those things where, yeah, like we, we put our minds together really well. And, you can, you know, especially if you're close with us and you're friends with us, you can hear it's like, oh, that's so like, that's Mark's part. That's Alex's part. That's mm -hmm. Garza's part. And like Eddie's vocals on it are as brutal as fuck. And uh, I did a super gnarly, like kind of jazzy guitar solo thing on it, which I've never really done uh, that sounding guitar solo. Uh, yeah, can't wait to play that one live when all this shit fucking <laughs> blows over, dude. And that brings me to the next thing here, which you guys were supposed to be on tour. I think you guys actually had a show tonight <laughs> scheduled. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. And this is uh, Sunday, April 26th. It won't come out on the 26th. But um, so did this, were you supposed to be on tour after this happened or were you guys in the middle of a tour when this happened? Everything. We, we only, we released the record and we only did a weekend's worth of shows on our album release weekend. And we were supposed to start a tour Today's the 26th. We were supposed to start a tour two days ago in San Francisco. Oh, wow. So it's just supposed to start. Okay. Yeah. And we were supposed to have done an Asian tour. Uh, March 18th, we would have left and we would have gotten home right in the first week of April. And so, like, that got canceled too. We were supposed to start in, in Japan um, and do a bunch of Southeast Asia and stuff. So, like, on that whole tip, like, we had been watching very closely this whole thing develop because we're like, well, we're going to go to Asia, man. And right. there's this weird disease popping off. We don't even know what the fuck it is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, not to be a bummer. It was just really discouraging, like watching it develop. And we were like trying to stay two steps ahead of it so that we could always get the shows happening. And then it's just like, all right, it all hit the fan and nothing's going to happen. So we have we released a record and we have uh, we played two shows. <laughs> do you um obviously have plans to reschedule these dates whenever that whenever that becomes available whenever we know more obviously yeah we we already had the plan of this year we were going to do a lot of support tours we had some things lined up where we we're going to be supporting bands so our uh we have no control over what those support tours how they reschedule them so hopefully we're able to actually make those happen again but you know the plan was next year we were going to hit hit it hard and start headlining again so, I mean, we're, we're still currently, we're booking, we're trying to be, you know, book a headliner for March next year and a, and a, and a European headliner for summer. And we're, we're like, we're looking to the future future, trying to just be ahead of it. Awesome. Uh, a couple fan questions here. Uh, do you or anybody in the band have any weird superstitions, like pre-show uh, rituals before you guys hit the stage? Yeah, we've been, I mean, it's not like weird, but, you know, we always, we always do a hands-in. We always, and like just yell in each other's face and say something weird like fucking you know shit in your cereal on three and we all just say something stupid and um it's and none of it's weird it's just really like you know kind of a, a brotherly thing we always try to everyone hits knuckles before we hit stage and it's just like if it doesn't happen somebody's like what the fuck man you fuck my show up we didn't hit the nuts dude <laughs> like you know like so just simple shit like that yeah if your band could tour with just one other band for the rest of your career 
Uh, who would that band be and why? Darkest Hour, because they're like our best bros. Darkest Hour, super sick. They're they're legends to me. You know, 25 years of doing like hardcore music, metal, metal hardcore music on the underground. Uh, their guitar player, uh, Lone Star, looks like my twin brother. And he actually filled in for me on a tour. And no one noticed for like three weeks because they thought it was actually me. Uh, yeah, they're just our, they're, we share a lot of road crew and stuff. They're, they're, they're our bros. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, so the show is called for the Berg, um, based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania here, but do you have any, uh, favorite venues or, or cool show memories or places you guys would like to go out or anything like that while on tour in Pittsburgh? Um, auto bar, right? Auto bars in Pittsburgh, the altar bar, altar bar. Auto it's bar. not a thing anymore, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> what happened? So wait, the altar bar is closed. Yeah. Well, that's a fucking bummer. Yeah. When I think of Pittsburgh, I think of the altar bar. Um, I also have a friend named Ryan who lives in Pittsburgh who I'm going to botch what kind of like, maybe it's a purple heart or like he's a military vet and he's a, he's like such a sweet dude. He lives in, he lives in Pittsburgh. And I always think whenever I'm in Pittsburgh, I'm always like, Oh, we're going to hang out with Ryan today. He's like, he's a super great supporter of the music. And, you know, that's definitely, you know, if if he listens to this, he'll appreciate that I'm even mentioning his name, (laughs) but uh, make sure to tag him in it so he can hear his name. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, pretty much that's, I, I didn't know altar bar was closed. I'm I'm sorry that I mentioned that. So do you know what a jag off is the term jag off? Not exactly. It means I mean, it's probably. a like a it's a Pittsburgh. It sounds like what it what it what it is. Uh, Pittsburgh term for like a dickhead, asshole, whatever. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, being famous in a bigger band and and touring with other big bands here, have you ever were you ever really excited to meet somebody that they just turned out to be a jagoff? I mean, I got the one that I think no one will ever deny, and uh, I I don't even really care about it. Uh, Dave Mustaine, dude. Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. If you're a fan of Megadeth, if you're a fan of the music. You've probably heard that Dave Mustaine did something that is some sort of dickish move at some point in time. And uh, the thing is that I am a fan of Dave Mustaine. I don't give a shit if he's a dickhead. I think it's like it's it's cool that he has this kind of attitude. He's like one of the only dudes that you can think of, like, who's an asshole, but he's still fucking cool. It's like Dave Mustaine. I mean, he kicked us off. He kicked us off a tour in 2009. Uh <laughs> and 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 i think it's one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me, you know <laughs> that's that is awesome i mean it sucks but why did he kick you off the tour uh it's a really kind of long story that's i mean i don't want to say too much he kicked us off tour because we weren't abiding by the rules that he was trying to uh to 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 lay on us and uh i get i will say it was probably more our fault you know so we, we deserved it. But at the same time, he kicked us off the last two days of, or three days of tour. So I was like, can you just let us play the last three shows, like our home shows in L.A. <laughs> yes. or, and, and Vegas? But, uh, you know, I've, I've seen him since and I've been in, in touch with, like, members of his band and all that stuff. And, you know, Dave Mustaine's Dave Mustaine. He's a fucking legend. Let him, let him do what he's going to do. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's all I have, buddy. You want anything you want to say or plug or talk about that Patreon or anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, just through all this stuff, I mean, it's hard with, uh, with not being able to tour, losing out a lot of income. I launched my Patreon. I'm going to be doing, uh, live streams on there. There's, there's a dollar tier all the way up to a $500 tier. I'll do a guest solo. I'll write a riff for your band. Uh, there's lots of cool stuff that's keeping me interactive with, uh, my supporters. So I'm, and I'm, I'm really pumped about doing it. Um, yeah, look me up. I'm on Instagram, Mark Heilman. Just follow me. 
stay up to date with whatever I'm doing and stream suicide silence music uh, while you're at home. Hit the weights. It's good. It's good workout music. Oh yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, thank you, brother. Nope. Mr. Pop. So that was episode 10. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we will see you next time.